Okay, so I just wanted to address the little one-week hiatus that we took. I had the best intention of announcing that we were going to take a week off for Thanksgiving, and I also had a really cute idea to make a reel on our Instagram page. Both Jared and I took some cute photos and videos of things that we were grateful for, and we were going to post that, and... As it happens, I'm only one person, and I went to Montreal briefly before Thanksgiving when I flew back into Miami. It was a little crazy. I was blessed enough to host at my house, and needless to say, that time got away from me and I got none of it done. So I hope that you had a really nice week off, that everyone had a good Thanksgiving with their family, and maybe that you caught up on some older episode. And we're back this week, and we are so excited to be here. Hello everyone and welcome to the Beyond the Mat podcast hosted by Emmanuel Clauser and Jared Rowan. A space for you to transcend your yoga beyond your mat and into your life. Hello everyone, welcome back to Beyond the Mat. Hi guys, happy Thursday. We're back. We're back at it. I'm excited. I know this is a topic that um, you you have some fresh training on, right? I do. And it's something that I'm really passionate about. So um, let's do this. Let's have everyone, and I'm pretending that I have a very large audience, but wherever you are, if you're in your car, don't make too much of a crazy adjustment, but you know, try to sit nice and tall. And take a full breath in through your nose and an even length breath out through your nose. Simple things, right? And if you didn't guess what we're talking about today, we are talking about pranayama. We're talking about the power of the breath, which is such a fascinating topic. And I am learning. This is something that I'm learning about. And so there are things, you know, that I've learned a long time ago that I'm very familiar with that I love to talk about. And I'm coming to you in like my development phase as I'm playing around with the practice myself, learning new things and experimenting, which I think is an interesting thing to do. And it kind of, it kind of shows that we're all in a way going through the journey and learning new things. And that there's always fresh knowledge to be gained within any fields that you're working with. In the context of yoga, typically the breath or breath practices will be called pranayama. The Sanskrit word is a combination of prana, which means life force, energy, or vitality, and then ayama, which means to control, lengthen, or restrain. You have life force energy or like vitality, and then you control, restrain it to ultimately give yourself a better life or bring yourself to a state where you're trying to go because better is kind of a vague but we can we can take it in many different directions and we'll we'll talk about that um anything else that you want to add about that no i think it's you know i think like you said it's just it's part of the eight limbed path of yoga and it comes after asana and is i believe the fourth limb yeah um, yoga practice so classically, if you look at the idea of yoga as a path to quote unquote enlightenment, there's yamas and niyamas, which we've talked about um, to some extent. We've done some specific episodes on some of the yamas and niyamas, 
which are social observances and like personal observances. Wow, my French is coming out strong right now. <laughs> it's okay. Um, but pretty much how to how to live in society and how to conduct yourself. These are the first two things that you should do before you start to prepare your body, which is asana, which is really moving your body around so that it can be prepared so that you can sit and then do pranayama, which is breathing exercises. Yes. And I think I didn't blow your mind last year, but I said, I read a book that you're supposed to do them in this order. Remember that? I know. Crap. You're like, I've been breathing and meditating. Not that it's wrong. I know. And then after pranayama is like the stages of meditation. And I, dude, I was concerned about my path to enlightenment and I still haven't changed it, but I cannot tell you that I don't think about it. Cause I was like, I'll wake up in the morning, meditate, breathe, and then move. And I'm like, oh my God, that's why I'm not going anywhere. That's why I'm still here. <laughs> no, but oh, no, but I, I did, I do find that interesting. And I think it makes a lot of sense. It like makes so much that, sense. Yeah. You, you get out of your physical body to get into your energy body, you know? Yes. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think that's a good intro to pranayama. Uh, yes. And if we take it on the map, um, because we uh, tend to do this with kind of every concept that we explore, and we think about pranayama on the map, what does that, what kind of experience do you have with that, both as a practitioner and like as a teacher? Oh my, so much over 10 years at this point. But I would say I use it in every class, obviously, Um, the awareness of breath. Um, I start every class with breath awareness. I never don't teach that at the beginning. Um, So breath awareness is there, which is just noticing your inhale, noticing your exhale, being aware of it is in every class. And then I have taught many classes over the years with a specific breath exercise as one of the focal points of the class, whether it be an alternate nostril bath, you know, Kalabati breath, boxed breathing. I mean, there's so many uh, people used to come to my class will know that I, I do the big inhale through your nose and <laughs> mouth. like there's so much, so much. Um, I would say uh, as a yogi, like someone who takes class, I now use mainly breath awareness So noticing my inhales and exhales, and then I work on a double exhale now because I'm really working and we'll talk later about this, but on rewiring my own neurology. And when you work on a double exhale, that's activating parasympathetic nervous system. So that's your, not your fight and fight. That's your rest and digest. So Mm -hmm. I work a lot with that now. And then I do tons of, of metaphorical breathing now. So I close my eyes and I either do like the breath of the seasons is one that I commonly do the breath of effort and grace, the breath of day and night, um, the breath. And just to be clear, like all these techniques, sorry, I'm interrupting you, but like are techniques that you've learned through the Katona practice. Yes. Yes. So they're called breath wraps and they allow you to use your imagination even when you're in the poses. So, and then I also magic square myself. So I breathe through the route of the magic square um, in a pose. So um, that's kind of like where my practice is right now. Um, What about you as both a practitioner and participant? 
So as a teacher, I'm with you with the breath awareness. I think probably a lot of the listeners, if they practice, there used to be a big trend or a big focus on ujjayi pranayama. And for those of you that are not familiar with it, this was inspired by the Ashtanga tradition. And it's it's a breath where you constrict the back of your throat and you maintain that constriction on the inhale and on the exhale through the whole class. And it makes the sound of your breath audible. I think that's a lot of the time it gets lost. Like to me, Ujjayi Pranayama is something that you do for yourself. Your neighbors shouldn't be able to hear it. And it could be actually quite detrimental to the practice to breathe so forcefully. Like, cause think about it. If you constrict the back of your throat and you're trying to have your neighbor hear your breath, you're really putting some effort into it. And my philosophy as a teacher is that it should be an even steady breath in and out through the nose through the whole practice. And when that has gone, if you feel you need to open your mouth and you're gasping for air, you've gone too far into the pose. You've lost the practice. The breath is like the rhythm on which we base the sequence, right? And Mm -hmm. everything can flow within those inhales and exhales, almost like a dance. It just kind of maintains the pace of the class. And that's how I like to teach it. And I tell people, If you think of a a shape like extended side angle and people are trying to get a bind and then they get the bind, what do they do? They're like trying so hard and then they hold their breath, right? They stop breathing. They're like, oh my God, I'm here. Or like same thing if people go upside down and then they hold their breath. Well, that you've just lost, you've just, you're out of practice. You close off your currency too. If you think about the life force as currency, when you hold your breath or when you breathe out of your mouth quickly, you're really changing your currency. Yeah. Or not changing your currency, right? Yeah. Right. And so the way the way that I like to teach is that the breath will indicate if you're working within your range or if you're working past your range, and then you can always take yourself back, right? Um, so that's kind of how I teach. How I practice, I try to adjust to the day. Sometimes I need to pump myself up a little bit. If I've had like a long day of work and just like last night, I practice at seven, take a power flow at seven. I needed a little bit of a go, right? So I'll do before class, I'll get myself into a breath that will tap me into my sympathetic. So something like more rapid and forceful so that I can feel energized. But as I practice, I practice what I preach. I practice with an evenness of breath that's carried through, you know, the whole class. If I use a technique, I use Nadi Shodhana more than I use Kapalabhati. Nadi Shodhana probably done. It's alternate nostril breath where you close off one nostril and then so you just keep switching back and forth. And oftentimes I'll, I'll simply encourage people to come back, to start to lengthen the breath even through like a forceful moment. I've also done some of the Katona practices are invigorating breath practices. So they're really to get you out of your head. Um, So when I need to get out of my head and really need to have, um, you know, something that isn't so personal, you know, experience, then I do more um, because they do create a lot of Kriyas too. And for listeners, Kriyas are like mudras and body movements with breath work. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do kind of a lot of Kriya practices that are very hard, Emmanuel. I thought, oh my God. like, I can do alternate nostril breath. I can even do Kalabati breath, but 
Oh my gosh. Some of the Koreas are really agitating. Oh yeah. It's uh, super challenging. But, yeah. So, but I think it's beneficial too. Um, but I, I like that you said, like, sometimes you do want to do an invigorating breath practice versus when you need to do like more of a, a, a soothing one. That's a yeah. good point. I think there's a time and a place for both. It just depends what your what your intention is behind behind the breath. And I think a lot of times, you know, and we'll talk about that more towards the end, but like a lot of times we just think, well, I'm breathing. It's happening. So I don't really need to put an intention behind it. I don't really need to think about it more than that. But it really is so important. And I do think that breath, breath practices, breathing sessions are like a very up and coming thing, both in the world of yoga and holistic wellness, but also like, and I guess you can speak to that in the world of therapy. And so if I were to ask you, you know, as a therapist, have you, is this something that people can use to help in different situations of their life? So, yeah, I mean, this is for decades and decades. We've worked with people on, it's been labeled focused breathing for a long time in the therapy world. But the power of breath is like a pretty um, traditional and longstanding, I would say, like technique um, to really utilize for emotion regulation or emotion dysregulation as it you know, usually happens. Um, so the breath, it, it's funny because when we teach people like in therapy to just breathe, they're always like an eye roll or <laughs> they really, I mean, they are, but there is, and I'm not going to get into too much of the psychology and science behind it, but like I I've already said, it activates a, a part of your brain and part of your nervous system. And isn't that so poignantly named your nervous system, it activates the calming portion of your nervous system. So I often teach people to do like intentional inhale and exhale, and then trying to lengthen your exhale. And what they've noticed, and I've actually done this because I have some, you know, anxiety stuff. I will notice on my um, heartbeat, on my iWatch, and no, I don't have an iWatch, a Garmin watch, mm-hmm. that is, it's like 89. And I'll your work heartbeat. On, yeah. And I'll work on breathing in and breathing out and really work on lengthening my exhale. And it will go down to like 55 within just a few cycles of breath. Oh, yeah. So that alone is proving to you, it allows you to regulate. It also allows you to think with less emotion. So you're feeling a lot of an emotion. And just by doing focused breath and therapy, you become less reactive. Mm-hmm. You become, you're a bit more clear. Reality is not as distorted. I think we, we've mentioned on a pod that the Sanskrit word for nirvana actually is like no movement, no mm-hmm. wind, no. And the breath really allows for that to happen. So it's it's definitely a traditional tool that we use in therapy for anxiety, for anger, for those types of emotions, for sure. Yeah. And I just wanted to Without going in, because we have a short amount of time into like the whole like physiology of, of, of breeding or like the neuroscience behind it, just for people to have a basic understanding, I think it's kind of helpful to give a relatable example of yeah. what, how the breath can influence our nervous system. So I like to think of, let's say you're in New York City, right? 
and you're crossing the street and there's a cab that almost hits you, what do you do? Like typically with your breath, you go, <gasps> yeah. you'd hold your breath and then you'd breathe really quickly, right? You'd be like, <gasps> like you're, you're nervous. You're like, you almost got hit by a car. And if you think about that, that will send you into what we called fight or flight, which mm-hmm. is your sympathetic nervous system, which is, which is panic attack. It's, oh, it could be a panic attack, but also to a lot of us live in our sympathetic nervous system. We are always not as like as much as like getting hit by a cab, but there's always kind of like, here's an email. Here's a text from our significant other. Here's a thing to do on the to-do list. And there's always kind of something that sends us into like, we need to like, answer. We're always yeah. stimulated. We're, st- we're st- more stimulated than we are unstimulated. Exactly. And now on the other end of that, okay, if you think about, I don't know, Friday night at home with your significant other, you're having like a movie night, you're chilling and you're just kind of like unwinding. Like the sound of that is like, (sighs) oh, you know what I love? I love a sigh. I'm a big sigher and somebody (laughs) suppressed cry, but I don't think it, it feels good to me to let out a big sigh. Yeah. Well, a sigh is kind of a, it's a longer exhale, right? Than it is an inhale. And it sends you into that other area of your nervous system, excuse me, that is your parasympathetic, which is your rest and digest. And so if you think about that, if you spend all your day breathing, but you're actually breathing short and fast, you're keeping yourself in a state of alertness that is unnecessary just by being unaware of your breath. Whereas if you were to be aware of it and say, hey, like there's no need for me to be this agitated right now, let me work on either evening out, right? Because if we even out the boat, we find ourselves in a place of equanimity. Yeah. Or work longer exhales, then you can tap into more relaxations. And so that's where we have different kinds of breath practices. So when Jared talks of a Kriya, it's probably not just one, it's probably different breath exercises linked together, right? That are designed to create a response in the body. Right or wrong? No, correct. Okay, yeah. good. So in a different way, you know, you do yours or your practice through the Katona kind of family tree. I do mine through um, a book that's called The Illuminated Breath by Dylan Werner and in which there are a bunch of different breath sequences. So they're sequenced like we would a yoga class with like a warm up, invigorating the main and then the kind of cool down part. And they're all designed to do something different. So there's a breath practice if I need to go to sleep and I'm super wound up. There's a breath practice if I'm working for um, athletic performance or like if I want to increase my libido. There's anything under the sun. Careful with that one. Careful with that one every day, baby. In Miami. She's <laughs> getting real rowdy down here. Everybody will want that one, Emmanuel. They'll be like, can you drop? I'm trying to pitch the book. Like, okay. <laughs> so I feel like I really need to like sell it. And I'm like, I know we have some people that are like, excuse me, what? I can breathe and be aroused. Let me do it. There, right. I'm there. Um, but no, so they're all in there and, and 
there are practices in the same way, you know, that you would do a class, you do that. And they range, I would say mine actually are anywhere from like 10 to 35 minutes. How long are the Kriyas? Oh my God. So an hour about. Each an hour. You could see why they're agitating, right? Oh my God. There's no Kriya that's meant to take you down? Yes, they do a few of those. But okay. they're an hour or the, I just, there's a few half hour ones, um, but it, they say that they're one of the most unpopular classes in, in, at the, at the space that they offer them because they are so challenging to, they're so beneficial for your neurology and for, like you said, for your nervous system, but they're really challenging for people. Um, it is super hard. You guys, mm-hmm. I think, you know, as the limbs of yoga goes to me, it's like, Asana is challenging. Pranayama is harder and meditation is the hardest. Yes, I agree with you. I think they kind of go in order in that way because it's really, yeah. But I don't always have time to do the the long ones. So sometimes I do a shortened version of like one of the breath wraps. Right. Like 10 minutes, 10 to 20 minutes of like, I go outside and try to like get the fresh, um, get the fresh sunlight. Cause I read a study side note that, if you spend 10 minutes first thing in the morning, when the sun comes up outside, you're likely to be able to fall asleep easier. Oh, that's so great. Wait, so you have to, not when you wake up, but when the sun goes up. So you have to wake up and watch the sunrise. Um, Actually, no, the second part, what you said, the so when you wake up. Okay. So whatever, yeah. Okay. Spend 10 minutes outside and I try to do the breathing then. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, it's hot in Miami. <laughs> it's so I know it was like a, a podcast I, I listened to. Yeah, nice. And what I will do for this episode, I will put some resources in the show notes. So I will link the book that I'm talking about that I use. Literally, it's on my nightstand. I use it every day. I reference it. And it's a really good book because like you can read a little section of it and put it down and you don't have to like read it from cover to cover. And there's another book. I don't know if you've read that. Did you read the breath book by Jam Nestor, the yellow book? No, there's a breath book that is yellow, but not that one. Okay. It's, that's a really good, really, really good book. So I link that there too. If you have any interest in breeding, it's super interesting. Um, so it's kind of more of less, of a formal like textbook he read, but more of a story, which has a lot of cool facts into it. So I'll link those two in the show notes for the people that are interested. Um, and one thing that I wanted to talk about is breath as a metaphor for our life. So we've talked about how very traditionally it's applied to the yoga practice, how we each apply it, And how we also take it off the mat as a practice that could serve for our life in different instances. But if we think about breath and we conceptualize that as a metaphor for our life, what does that mean to you? You mean taking, taking the breath, the the idea of breathing or breath. And Mm -hmm. how does that apply to like the grander scheme of things? My goodness. That's thought provoking. For me, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're doing what I do to you all the time. All the time. You do this to me all the time. And this is kind of like the first time that I get to do it. And you're like, oh, I'm on the spot. Um, I mean, taking it beyond the the mat. I mean, the breath practice, I think. 
Uh, so it's a metaphor, right? And we love metaphors here. Um, okay. So I think it teaches us really two things and we could go a lot deeper with this, but A, it's something that we don't voluntarily have to do that just naturally happens. So it's like ongoing, but then it also, it is something we can control. Mm-hmm. So I think that the takeaway is there, there are things out of our control or things that just happen to us that, that for no rhyme or reason, but we do always have a choice yeah. and we always have, I, so I, for me, um, that's what I take as, as the metaphor. What do you think? Yeah, I think so too. And I think just to kind of piggyback on that, you know, sometimes we consider that the things that happen without us having to think about it, like the breath, whether or not you think about it, you will breathe. That is the good news. You do not have to worry about that unless you do, (laughs) then you're in a tough spot. I'm sorry for you. But, um, you know, we feel that those things, because they're kind of taken care of, they must be happening in the most effective way possible. And what we've come to realize is that with modern society, we're mostly wrong when it comes to the breath. Now, most people won't breathe the most effectively that they could breathe, and that will end up hindering their lifestyle. Um, And so I think that if you compare that to a pattern in our life, sometimes we just think that because things keep happening, oh, this is the way it is. This is how I do things. This is who I am. I can't change this. It's happening for a reason. We tend to be like, oh, this is this is just how it is. But really, we do have control over it. it and it's have to be that way, right? It doesn't have to be that way. And I think it's interesting because it's finding the balance between the two. Because yes, you can control your breath. But if you hold your breath forever, what's going to happen? Nothing good is going to happen if too much control. And that's also a very good metaphor for our life. We can't hold on to things that tightly. It's the give and take between what is serving me in terms of how much I engage, I participate, I alter, and how much I release. I, I think soften into the experience. And that's the mediation of, you're right. You don't want to just hold, 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 because anything you hold super long can be toxic to you, yeah. right? And you also don't want to be someone who, I just can't do anything. I just, you know, this is the way it is. Like, you also can't be the op, because that's, you're not going to accomplish anything. Right. You know? And you're, you're going to be, you are going to stay stuck. So it's the idea of mediating the two, which is what an inhale and an exhale does or what control over the inhale and the exhale does. Yeah. Really good point. And I just have found that to be so interesting. I always like to relate it to our lives because I think it just gives this moment where you're like, yeah, that totally makes sense. And it helps for people to understand the purpose of why we're doing it beyond the fact, because I mean, we could talk for hours about the whole physiology and, and the whole like benefits on like the cellular level and all that stuff right. of breeding well and breeding less. And, you know, but for people to kind of get into it, it has to have a practical application. It's hard to break it to someone with just a physiology and be like, hey, this is why it's important. But if they can get an idea of like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's interesting to me. And hopefully this is what we're doing with this episode is kind of piquing your curiosity. And you're like, hmm, let me look into it. Um, 
something that I want to ask you is like, have you ever had some kind of like a realization after a breath practice or like an experience where you felt different or transformed? There's all these means of or techniques of breath, like the Wim Hof breathing, there's like holotropic breath practice and like all these things that are kind of coming to the forefront of the holistic health field. And you could probably do that. I'm sure after an hour Kriya, you feel a certain way. I would say, um, I would say yes. Um, just, I mean, I think that I'm going to generalize it because I'm not, none are coming to mind. They're like, oh my God, these are transformatory moments, but yeah, it changes my, my mood state or my energy state, or I feel relieved or I feel like I can take the day on or so I feel like I have, you know, had very general breath practices or general experiences, but that are still pretty powerful. Yeah. Um, so what about you? I've done two different rounds of holotropic breath, okay. which have both been one in training in Germany and then one in Costa Rica with a guide one-on-one. And um, both of them have been completely transformative. Um, awesome. But I do think it's important to be well guided through those and to find someone that speaks to you in the way, in the same way that you would for like a massage or a therapy session, you wouldn't just go to anyone. Um, Look for someone that you trust and that has some experience in leading those those moments and and maybe dive into it. And something that I wanted to to say before we end the podcast is like, just like all of the things that we talk about, if you're interested, please don't feel overwhelmed and just start really small. Yeah. You know, see where be aware of the breath. That could be a really good starting point. Yeah. Just become aware. Like when, how do you breathe when you're stressed? How do you breathe throughout the day? Mostly are you breathing through your nose? Are you breathing through your mouth? Can and that's you, so, you know, self-awareness we should point out is the be- the best first step of anything. So I, I had somebody today like, Oh my God, I think I'm dating. Like, I think I'm attracted to toxic men, Jared, what do I do? And I'm like, well, well what we're going to do first is see if that's the case. So the next time you go on a date, I want you to be self-aware. I want you to go, is this a good guy or not a good guy? The same yeah. thing with this, you start with awareness, right? I feel like awareness is is a good, I think it's an amazing first step and changes people's lives actually. Yeah. So become aware of your breath and then maybe go on the journey or don't. Right. And then there's one final little, uh, little one-liner from my teacher that when I heard it the first time, it was very potent to me. And he says, we are born on an inhale and we die on an exhale. Every breath in between is a gift. Mm, it is a gift. We are, it is a gift. We're lucky to live. Yeah. Yeah. We're lucky to be here and we're lucky to get to do the things that we do. And we can always, you know, shuffle ourselves and restart and take a breath in a breath out and carry on. Yes. All right, you guys. Well, thank you so much for your time. We really, really appreciate you tuning in on Tune In Thursday (laughs) and um, taking the time to send your feedback. We've loved everything that we've got so far, and we will see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.